science. And uh, you are listening to uh, Love and Science here on BCFM. You're either listening on the radio or uh, you're listening to a repeat of the show, which you can get at uh, bcfmradio.com, uh, or uh, you are um, listening in some other fashion through uh, a paper cup, perhaps, <laughs> and wire. But it's very good to uh, have uh, your company with us this afternoon, where we're looking at science in the news and uh, behind the news. I'm joined, as uh, most often, by uh, Andrew Glester. Hello. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Malcolm. Hello, Hi. everyone. Are you doing well? Uh, yeah, I'm all right, thank you. Very well, thanks. Uh, good, good. I've just, just, I should just point out that, that some people who are listening to this are listening to it on our podcast version. Yes, they are. And uh, tell us how to find that podcast Well, version. what you could do is you could... The probably best thing to do is to Google or ask Jeeves. Um, yeah. Look for Love and Science yeah. and Podbean. Yes. Uh, we, we host the, uh, the, the podcast on Podbean. And that is the version of this show without the music. Right. So Love and Science on Podbean. That's yes. the place to so go. If you if you don't have there. time to listen to the music. No, absolutely. You just want the words. We do love our po podcast listeners as well. They're lovely people. They just yes. hate music. That's just <laughs> <what it is. laughs> and uh, I'm also delighted to say we have in the studio uh, Elsa Naismith. I mentioned at the top of the show as we're introducing everything. But um, Elsa, welcome. Great to have you, you on, on the show. I should just explain to people you are a, a geologist. You're, so you're specialising in volcanoes. You're That's a volcanologist. Right. Uh, you're uh, doing a some PhD uh, research, particularly into a volcano in Guatemala and what it's like to live with it. That's right, yeah. So we're, we're uh, going to be uh, looking forward to uh, hearing all about that. Have you spent much time in Guatemala? So I've spent about a month there uh, so far. Yeah. And uh, I hope to return uh, towards the end of this year. So it should be a project that involves going back frequently and getting to know the people there really well. Really good. Yeah. And, and uh, so when you're there, do you stay in a kind of like a, a little scientific community with researchers or are you, are you sort of living, I don't know, Guatemala City or yeah. somewhere like that? Um, so what I was doing the, the first month I was there is that uh, the University of Bristol has a master's course in volcanology. Yeah. And I was the demonstrator for that course. So we um, follow uh, a plan uh, that is designed by uh, Matt Watson, the course demonstrator, uh, supervisor. Yeah. And he basically takes us all the way uh, through Guatemala. Um, so we spend a lot of time at different locations in the capital city, um, in the observatory beside the volcanoes. Um, and we travel very far in the course of the month um, between a, dis like a long distance about between Bristol and Swindon. Uh, so it's a very right. tiny country which packs yeah. a lot of stuff in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, look, we're, we're, we are looking forward to talking to you about exactly what it is you're doing and yeah. the impact that it has and also learning a bit more about volcanoes as well so andrew what kind of a, a week have you had um i've uh, quite good actually I've, I've got a new role i'm the coordinator coordinator of the space unit I can't even speak. No. Were you overwhelmed <laughs> yeah. by emotion? Yeah, uh, pretty much so. Yeah. Yeah. The coordinator of the Space Universities Network, which is uh, a, a very lovely thing, basically means I help all the space scientists and engineers and academics around the country um, work together to improve the standard of 
teaching across the universities, which is kind of fun, mainly because I get to speak to lots of space scientists, which, as you'll know, is one of my favourite things to do. How absolutely excellent. Well, that's a perfect job for you, isn't it? It is, rather. Well, congratulations. Apart from actually having to do it, it's yeah. all good. That's uh, the problem. You actually have to do the work. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, well, as you can tell, I'm not, because I'm here talking to you. But, Malcolm, you just, you're, you know, on my Facebook page, you know, there's this news feed thing, and... Up, up, a picture appeared on my newsfeed of you, Malcolm, on live TV in Bulgaria. Yeah. yeah. What, what well, on well, earth was well, happening? I think it was, what was it? It was a Saturday. Yeah, Saturday's yeah. live Bulgarian television. That's yeah. normal for me. <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing? Well, um, I went over to give a talk at the Sophia Science Festival. So... Um, there's this m- a marvellous person called uh, Lubov Kostova, and uh, L- Lubov is now the director of the British Council in, um, in Bulgaria, even though she's Bulgarian. I mean, we okay. you normally have a British person do that, but she's a very talented person. And one of her little side projects, which has now become massive, is she set up uh, the Sophia Science Festival. And so because we're friends, she said to me, would you come over and talk about science and religion? Mm. The significance of that being that I've never talked about science and religion in public before. Oh. So it was quite a challenge, and I, I agreed to do it because I felt, um, yeah, this would be a, it's, a, it's a real discipline, isn't it, to sit down, write a talk, mm. um, and, and, and make yourself think through what you, what you believe and what you don't believe, what yeah. you think is important and what isn't. Uh, so that's what I did, and I had it in the MTEL arena in uh, Sofia, and it was full, which was uh, both gratifying and alarming <laughs> uh, at the same time. Uh, Richard Dawkins had been there uh, previously to, oh, yeah. uh, to talk, and um, as many people will know, Richard Dawkins takes uh, quite a strong line on this yes. because uh, he's, uh, he's, he's what I call an anti-theist. So R- Richard's view of this sort of thing is that um, uh, he does not believe in God and he doesn't think you should either. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, which is a very old idea. I mean, some, some of the pre-Socratic uh, Greek philosophers, you know, we're going back before 500 BC, had that view as well. Right. Uh, so it's a very, very old view. So it's not just atheism or agnosticism, but it's, it's very actively against the idea of God. Um, and I just felt, I just feel it's not very helpful. Okay. Uh, the, 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 the reason is, um, I think there are two, I go with Stephen Jay Gould on this, really, who's a uh, famous biologist who had lots of debates with uh, uh, Richard Dawkins. And I sort of feel that science doesn't say anything sensible about metaphysical stuff. In other words, what's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? You know, uh, where do we come from? In, in, in the sense, in, in, in the grandest sense. Sure. I mean, we know, you know, we can talk sensibly. Science can talk very usefully about evolution and uh, can talk about um, what we're made of and uh, the mechanisms of the body and all this kind of stuff endlessly. I mean, there's so much that we've learned uh, in 200 years and more of, of, of really thoughtful use of the scientific method but it can't tell us anything about who we are really Mm. uh, in in any metaphysical sense any philosophical sense so that's what i wanted to say i wanted to say that and i wanted to say that it's not helpful 
to give the impression that in order to be a decent scientist, you have to be an atheist. Yeah. And that science, e- science equals atheism because um, people won't discuss with you then. Mm-hmm. People who are opposed to you, some of whom are in pol- have political power around the world, particularly in the United States, won't talk to you because, oh, you're a scientist. And we now think the scientists are atheists, so let's not deal with you. Okay, that's interesting. So that was the, that was the kind of line I was okay. talking about. I, I, was, I was arguing for civility. Yes. Really. Mm-hmm. Well, that yeah. seems like a good idea in these uh, t- times of turmoil, particularly. Um, but uh, it, it, did it go well, the talk? The talk? Uh, no, they stoned me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do you, I, can I ask, Malcolm? Do you, why, why would you have a particular um, point of view on this? Is it because, as you well know, and you're winkling this out of me as the skilled interviewer that you are? Um, I used I, my first job in life was I was a minister of religion, and I had oh. a, I have a degree in theology, mm. uh, and um, so. Uh, my, uh, my own views, I, I had to say to people, because people kept coming and saying to me, it's really good that someone's speaking up for God. And I said, whoa, 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 <laughs> wait a minute, I'm not speaking up for God. Mm. Uh, what I'm, what, I'm actually an agnostic, uh, which, by which I mean it's not just about me not... I don't mean by agnostic that popular sense of agnosticism, which means I can't make my mind up. Yeah. Um, what I actually mean is people cannot know about mm. this. Uh, you can't, I can't know whether there's a God or not, or I can't know very much about God. I, that's, that's the kind of thing I feel personally. Other people will say, well, because of my personal experience, I, I feel differently. Well, okay, I, I respect that for sure. Um, but um, I uh, am not somebody who's pushing the idea that you ought to believe in God either. Mm. So you're uh, more speaking up for tolerance, would you say? Yes, um, uh, yeah, I think so. I think I think I'm speaking up for tolerance. I'm speaking up for civil discussions, and um, I'm kind of. I was, was a comment that I saw from a philo- professional philosopher, a chap called Michael Ruse or Michael Roos, uh who's at Florida State University now, and um, he said of the God delusion which Richard Dawkins famously produced, and people wave it at you and say, oh, this has liberated me, you know, from religious thought. Um, Michael Roos, who's who's an atheist, said, this makes me embarrassed to be an atheist because the arguments are so antiquated and shot through. And I just think someone ought to be saying that because there are a lot of people who who, um, feel, well, that's it then. You know, science, has, it's done and dusted, and anybody who has some vestige of belief in God is an idiot. <laughs> is a science-hating idiot, mm. uh, to use Dawkins' phrase. And that's, that's a very, very long way from the truth. And thinking people, both atheists, agnostics, and, and believers, of course, um, say, wait a minute, there, there, there is no su- th- this situation is not real. That's, this is not what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not on a crusade for religion or against it. I'm just, uh, I, I, I'm arguing for civility. Seems yeah. like a good plan to me. Yeah. But it's something that we see in, in all walks of life, isn't it? I mean, we're, yeah. we're, I'm, I'm not going to go there, don't worry. But we're in, the, we're in the middle of an election at the moment. Yes. And people often talk about... So the left-wing people talk about the right-wing people in a particular way. Yeah. Well, I mean, they would say that maybe they were more 
uh, how, how would people put it, more, more strict, they might be ruder than that, whereas, and think of themselves as being full of empathy, and then the people on the right would say that the people on the left are very stupid and naive, yeah. and that we need to be more um, uh, dictatorial about the way we do things, you know, just uh, yeah. characterizations. but yeah. actually, if you, that's the way we talk about each other online, you yeah. know, I, I sit on one end of that yeah. spectrum, you can guess which one it is, it's yeah. entirely up to yeah, you. Yeah. But Braving fascists. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but actually, when you sit down and you you have a friend who's uh, who's a conservative or a Lib Dem or a, or, or a Labour supporter, and you're one of the other ones, um, or one of those, then that you don't have that that antagonisation towards each other. That's the wrong word, but you know what I mean. Yeah. You're, you're not feeling like they're completely other, and that. That's the same thing, I think, as, as this religion and science thing. Is well, that we're, absolutely. It's, so inter- it's interesting. I was talking to Becky, my, my partner, about this when I was in Bulgaria. I met a friend of mine who takes a completely different view from me about Brexit. You know, it's com- completely No, that's different. different. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm somebody who thinks Brexit's a mistake. She's somebody who thinks it's a, it's, it's a good thing. Yeah. And we've had some fairly tetchy exchanges online, you know. And then I saw her again just this weekend because she was also a speaker at the festival and it's just yeah we're just friends who care about each other and, yeah, and that's yeah, so nice yeah. to yeah, yeah. be reminded mm. of, of all of that uh, i think the other thing is a lot of this debate whether whether you're talking about science and religion or or current uh, uh, political discussions that people have it's just full of emotion yeah but not a lot of reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we're not listening to each other very often, and we're not caring for each other, and we're not looking for solutions that are mutually satisfactory. Mm. I think there's the, uh, one a very useful way I've, I've thought about it recently, this, this kind of um, false dichotomy between people that isn't real, um, is that if you think about it as parenting techniques, if you've got friends who think that the way to be a parent is to set the guidelines, set the boundaries, be a really strict parent, yeah. and then you've got friends who think that you've got to let the child find their own way in the world, you don't think of those people as bad people. They're doing it because they're motivated by love for that parent. And it's yeah. the same thing for both the right wing and the left wing and atheists and religious people. We're all motivated by the love of looking after the world around us. And if we stop thinking about each other as other and different and just see that the motivation is the same then maybe we can get somewhere yeah i think you're absolutely right thanks i'm a professional philosopher (laughs) (laughs) you're listening to love and science on bcfm radio and uh it's always a pleasure to have your company we've got uh, also the the pleasurable company of uh, Elsa Naismith, who's a PhD uh, student at uh, Bristol University. As we were saying earlier, she's a geologist now specialising in volcanoes, which makes her a volcanologist. And um, not making it easy on herself, she's gone all the way to Guatemala. Or maybe it is making it easy on her. So gone all the way to Guatemala. <laughs> That's a lovely thing to do. Yeah, it's yeah, not. Central it's America is not the nice worst part, part of, of my job. Yeah, it's yeah. a it's a beautiful country and uh, very kind people. So I'm. I'm very I count myself very fortunate to be there um how uh long so so you i, I take it your phd is going to be what about three years that's yeah the, i'm going to finish plan, in 2020 that's the idea yeah, yeah. yeah and and are you going to spend is all of your time going to be focused on on this particular volcano yeah so the original um 
kind of proposal of the project was to work on this volcano called Fuego um, in Guatemala. Yeah. And which um, means fire. It in means Spanish. fire in yeah. Spanish, exactly. Yeah. So um, it's and it, very aptly, it's uh, very often on fire. <laughs> um, but it's uh, yeah, the the project is focused on that volcano and. As it's a PhD project, it's somewhat guided by myself. Um, but yeah. I visited in February, and I find it fascinating. I love the volcano, and so I kind of I can see. I'm personally really want to just focus on it. Well, you, we were talking earlier, and you explaining to me that, that that actually it's a kind of a mixed thing. So, so you're you're studying a volcano, mm-hmm. but you're also studying um, the risk associated with living near a volcano. Yes. So, um, it's a kind of mix of disciplines, isn't it? You're yeah. having to look at how people behave, and mm. you know why people build houses on the sides of volcanoes exactly. and things like that. Yeah. Oh, well, actually, that's an interesting question. I don't mm. know if you can uh, answer all these yet because you've got to look. Uh, uh, look at this but yeah why would you build well, a house you know I d- i'm not sure i mean because in this country we don't have mm-hmm. uh, vo- we haven't had volcanoes for a very long time if, if mm. ever i presumably we would have done Been the, like hundreds of millions uh, of years yeah, very so, long time yeah, ago. Yeah. but we certainly uh, modern civilization has never had to live with them why do people mm. build houses around volcanoes? So um, there's lots of lots of different reasons. Um, I guess ones which you wouldn't necessarily consider because that, that's straight up. We've most of us have seen an eruption on the television, and it's incredibly, uh, incredibly energetic, very violent. You'd think that you would be crazy to to uh, to you know live one near one of those but in actual fact um a lot of the times a volcano is not active or not active enough to really affect you right. um so even though yeah. it might be bubbling away mm-hmm. and smoke coming out and yeah. whatever it's l- not always going to cause yeah. trouble for people living around about it could it. be kind of you know every few years there's a big explosion or maybe it's more used to kind of puffing away but the the little eruptions don't come down to you mm. um fuego is an interesting one because um not only is it very constantly active so it goes off every 20 minutes but there is some uh, some uh, stuff that's built very, very close by. So there's um, a golf resort. Um, <laughs> my supervisor calls it the most ridiculous golf resort in the world. Um, <laughs> and it's beautiful. It's uh, incredibly well made and put together, but it's about five kilometers from the... Um, from the side of the volcano um and it is somewhat in danger of eruptions and i think on on their case they kind of built it because there is no better view in the world than a volcano when you're teeing off from the first hole so (laughs) that one's quite incredible that is an absolutely extraordinary image that you've got there um let's uh, just have a uh, a little bit of discussion here about about volcanoes because my understanding is that these days generally speaking we know where a volcanic opera um, mm. a volcanic uh, explosion eruption is likely to take place mm-hmm. more or less we've got a rough idea about it we just have no idea when is that yeah. is that fair that's a pretty good um yeah that's a pretty good summary of uh what we know so far so um there's kind of centers of or, or volcanoes that we know have gone off in the past and we imagine they'll go off soon 
but um, we kind of we monitor them to try and understand slightly better when they would go off but it's never a sure thing so yeah. volcanologists always ter- talk in terms of probability and risk and uncertainty yes. um, and you could never say you know you could never place a hundred pounds on a volcano erupting on this day and and as time goes on, mm-hmm. do you envisage, I mean, I'm not asking you mm-hmm. to give us a sort of hard prediction here, yeah. but, but do you envisage we will be in a position that, that, that mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, I don't know, 20 years or something, people will just go, yeah, there's going to be a volcanic eruption. It's going to happen in, you know, North and America. And then we can and pinpoint blah, blah, blah. it. Yeah. Well, so I think, like, as we, you know, our methods of monitoring are getting better all the time, and there's some really state-of-the-art um, work being done in some Uh, around some volcanoes um like um in new zealand they've got a kind of early warning system for mud flows um around a certain volcano and likewise i think also um maybe not kind of predicting volcanoes but understanding how people respond to volcanoes is very important so um for instance the, the guatemalan institutions we work with we work with um the National Institute uh, called Insevume, and they um, and and also the Disaster Response Services Conred, and they uh, work very hard on both monitoring the volcano, but also on um, kind of informing people around the risk. So we might find in the future that we're not necessarily better at predicting volcanoes, volcanic eruptions, but we're better at dealing with them when they do go off. Right. Okay. And your your work will be one of the things that contributes to that hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. now there, there are different ways aren't there in which we could be at risk from vol- should we be uh, mm-hmm. living near a volcano there there are different things that can happen i mean first of all obviously mm-hmm. you could be burned because yes. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a very very hot uh-huh. uh, magma flies out the yeah. top and and, and and you know that that's obvious there are other things that could happen mm, though, for there? sure for sure there's lots of different um things and actually although the the kind of uh, hot rocks and lava coming out and hitting you are um let's say the glamorous or most exciting way yes. of getting injured yeah. by volcanoes it's a great t- dinner yeah. table story yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was hit by flying magma <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> it's wild um but there's there's lots of other ones which are less um let's say less instant um so we have a type of hazard called a lahar which is basically like a very thick soupy mud flow with big rocks in it and uh, that one is generated when there's lots of rainfall on the sides of a volcano and um and that will the rain will then come and kind of wash away the the um the stuff the rocks on the top of the volcano and kind of to carry it down stream and that one's really interesting because it's not necessarily instant but it can have like a big devastating effect i mean you can get like the boulders the size of cars getting carried along and it can wipe wow. out bridges you can take out roads all yeah. these kind of things so um I'd say, you know, slightly, that, that one's quite, you don't want to get caught in a lahar. And what about this, this, this thing, isn't there, when, um, it may be the same thing that you're mm-hmm. talking about, but I'm just checking. Uh, I, I, I saw a program once mm-hmm. about um, the, the, the eruption of Vesuvius. Yeah. Uh, 
way back in uh, Roman times, and a lot of people there were. It was as if they were preserved in the midst of daily activity. Yeah. So what is this? Is this a lahar? Is this something else? No, that's uh, that's a paraclastic flow. I've been to Vesuvius right. too, and you kind of see these these people kind of caught up in the middle of sleeping or, or crouched yeah. down. Um, yeah. So that is caused by something called a paraclastic flow. Right. Um, and the paraclastic flow is. Um, probably the most impressive volcanic phenomenon you can see it's um either generated by um a column of ash collapsing or it's caused by say say a dome of lava that's exploded from the top of a volcano and it's basically a train of very hot rock and ash and uh, gas that travels down the side of a volcano and kind of buries everything in its path presumably it moves very quickly yeah you can get ones i think the highest record is uh about 600 kilometers an hour wow so that's 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 the speed of a plane (laughs) yeah yeah there's there's no way you can outrun it i mean just yeah you try so um google pyroclastic flow and you might get an idea of uh, yeah. you know so some good youtube videos how how predictable are those then those ones um are are more predictable they're, they're common to like a very large volcanic eruption yeah um so they don't necessarily start an eruption so you could have something like um well my volcano fuego actually went off uh last thursday so about 10 days ago and it had paraclastic flows which began um on the second day of the eruption i believe so you might see an eruption starts with some lava there's some like fire fountaining that comes out and as the activity increases you can study this by um uh, tremor of the ground or by the um kind of size of the lava flows other uh, factors like that then you might expect that then you get pyroclastic flows um so even within the small eruption there's kind of rising and falling trends how close to the to the crater do you get when you're there um, the closest I've been was about five kilometres away to the north. Uh, oh. There was a very good lookout um, from another mountain called Catanango. Um, we also had a uh, team uh, from the University of Bristol Engineering Department who flew some drones over the volcano. Oh. Um, and they had one of their drones uh, took some great footage on top of the volcano and uh, it's uh, there's there's a great little point where basically the volcano erupts as um, as it goes off and the drone is almost taken out by it so I think that was about 300 meters from the kind of summit so yeah you can you can feel like you're right there for with some drone footage yeah and did did the drone operator's face get caught on camera as the uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know they didn't but we did hear the cries (laughs) (laughs) like no not the precious drone yeah Wow, I guess. And, and, and did you feel, utter, you know, filled with bitterness and resentment when you realised your, your volcano went off without you? I know. I, it's, it's terrible because you kind of, there's this weird, um, like, dual feeling as a volcanologist that you get really, really excited when the volcano erupts. Um, but then you kind of also consider, as you said, the project's a hybrid between uh, vo- volcanology, between geology and the social aspect. So you kind of then think, well, I'm sure this isn't very exciting to the people who um, who have their farm next to the volcano and are yeah. getting covered in ash, or yeah. to the scientists there who suddenly have um, you know five times the amount of work to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's definitely, I mean, you know, 
part of me wanted to study volcanoes because I get incredibly excited by eruptions. But there's definitely, like, I guess you grow up to be a volcanologist and you think about the difficult parts of uh, eruptive activity too. Well, we're very glad that you're safe uh, back here with us, but Thank we know you. that that's a real passion for you and you're going to go go back and study it for at least another three years. So yep. uh, we wish you all the best with that. We'll, we'll come back uh, before we finish the show just to talk about that a little bit more. But we're going to look at some of the other science in the news and then we're sticking with volcanoes uh so andrew um hello yes volcanic stuff going on not on um jupiter but on one of its moons io io one of jupiter's what is it 62 moons i think jupiter's got it's just a bit selfish but it? it is a bit selfish but most of them aren't worth speaking of <laughs> but io is yeah io definitely it's quite is, impressive yeah. if, if you don't know io um imagine an enormous pizza uh that was not a calzone but a, yeah. a, a sphere that was yeah. kind of margarita yeah. but a very active margarita yeah, made made into a globe of some yeah, sort yeah. right it's slightly bigger than our own moon yeah and incredibly volcanic and uh, yeah there's there's been an observation i can't quite believe this but it's true there's been an observation of uh, a huge well two huge lava waves rolling around a volcanic crater the size of wales on jupiter's moon io and it's been observed by a telescope on earth called the large binocular telescope in uh, america and the, it, the optics on it have been, you know, update, updated and stuff, and it, we're now able to see, uh, in, in, in astronomical terms, we're, we're able to see that kind of detail on one of the moons of Jupiter, and that is pretty amazing. That is incredible. You see, we can see it from uh, Earth. Yeah, yeah. Well, through a, through a yeah, we can map the um, the temperatures of, of of the different areas of the planet, and that tells us when yeah. when the, the well. Uh, Elsa will be able to tell us more about that probably, but when the, mm-hmm. when yeah. the uh, lava was in different areas, you can tell by mapping the the, the, the temperature at different times on the planet. Yeah, uh, it sounds moon, pretty, rather, pretty inhospitable. Not a really good place for a field trip, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty healthy. Are you Just out of interest, are you interested in volcanic activity on places other than Earth? Other than Earth. Um, I think... Um, well, personally, I am very interested in them. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have such a social impact um, in, on outside of Earth, you know, <laughs> yes. unless we can find extraterrestrial well, life. Well, pe- all those people living on Io, you know, yeah, I know. Well, interest and well, you know, I real estate yeah. prices, you <laughs> yeah. know, fluctuate quite madly. <laughs> yeah. So there is a lot. I mean, we of course we're learning all the time about mm. planets, not just in our solar system, but but of course. Uh, uh, around other stars it's a very exciting time and there is there yeah. is such a science isn't there a sort of exobiology and exogeology yeah. and all uh-huh. that sort of thing yeah. yeah you know you were saying earlier that the uh, that your um volcano i love that you called it my volcano That's oh yeah we yeah. get very possessive yeah. <laughs> it, it, it shot uh what, 300 miles up is that what you're saying no 300 meters up 300 meters yeah so the um the kind of fire fountaining yeah you mean yeah that can get up to about 500 meters above the summit wow yeah you see, see that's amazing here on earth but io's one of io's volcanoes mm. can f- blast sulfur dioxide and sulfur clouds 300 miles into wow. the sky mm. wow i guess that's a combination of um the kind of well, 
you know, as a smaller body, you'd have uh, less strong gravity in yeah. there. And also it doesn't have an atmosphere. So you yeah. get these incredible fountains of sulfur. Is it yeah. kind of coming away? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, our um, atmosphere is what, about 12... 12 kilometers whatever that is in miles uh yeah for the first kind of i guess the thickest level yeah. of our atmosphere there's about a 90 percent of the atmosphere maybe is kind of contained within the first few kilometers yeah. so yeah. yeah and then yeah, just so imagining 300 miles of, of self i mean you could do some studying up there couldn't i you? think it would be wild yeah. Yeah, yeah amazing this this eruption was it's in um it's in a crater Mm-hmm. I think, do you know what, I'm going to, tonight I'm going to go out and look at our moon and think about its possible volcanic past and those craters of, mm. and, and lava um, uh, plains that it's got in it. Mm-hmm. Just have yeah. a little think about how that must, must have looked in the sky when it was volcanic like I yeah. Oh yes, if there'd been people here yeah. able to watch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, yeah interesting. But, but uh, um, on Io this, there's this crater and what they've been able to see is two um, waves of lava inside the um, inside the crater, where, as I understand it, they, it it's sort of it's become so hot mm-hmm. that the the surface has gone underneath, right? Sunk down, done. Probably, I don't know why that would be. You might be able to mm-hmm. tell me that. Um, and uh, and then in two different directions, this lava has has gone and again. Remember, a crater, a crater the size of Wales, yeah, right, yeah. has gone. Uh, in one direction and then ant- ant- clockwise and then anti-clockwise and then met each other around the other side. It must wow. have looked amazing. And do they, yeah, that would be incredible. I mean, do they have a, um, are they able to uh, determine how tall the waves are? Um, the, I, do you know, they probably are able to do that, but mm. it doesn't say in the in the paper that I've seen. But yeah. um, it's, it's, it's been seen from Earth. And yeah. there, there is this uh, Juno spacecraft, which is going around Jupiter at the moment, which is seeing Jupiter itself and, and some of its moons as well mm-hmm. in, in much better detail. So I'm really looking forward to it. I'm hoping, hoping that uh, Juno is going to be, I've not looked in detail, but Juno is yeah. going to be taking images of Io. Because we've got some amazing images from Hubble and other, and other spacecraft of Io. Nice, but, definitely, but yeah. to be able to see it in the detail that... Uh, have you seen any of those images that, that Juno's been sending back of, of Jupiter? You know, I haven't seen them so far. I'd be mm. really interested. I'll look it up immediately after yeah. this show. Yeah. There's, um, the, on the in the poles of Jupiter, they've got photographs of the of the poles of Jupiter, which we haven't had. We're all used to seeing those bands going across. Mm. But if you think about those bands, if you look down from above, they're obviously right. rings. So it looks completely different, and there's all sorts of activity going on it. And mm. a- actually, the lead scientist on, on Juno, um, it, it, Juno is a spacecraft that launched to um, Jupiter in 2011, I think it was, and last year started doing its orbits around around Jupiter and, and taking uh, science data and images as it goes around. It's mm. an absolutely incredible mission. And uh, they're starting to get their first results back. And I just this quote from the uh, principal investigator, Scott Bolton, um, about this, the, the first findings, just tells you what an amazing mission this is. The whole of the inside of Jupiter is working differently to how our models expected ah. the whole of the inside of jupiter wow mm-hmm. i mean that is it, i mean that's that's all that money spent on that mission worthwhile yeah. in, in one moment yeah. there in yeah. one sentence yeah. I mean, some of those differences that we're seeing from what from how we understood it are um the way we've been thinking about Jupiter before is that there's this um, a thin band of atmosphere, almost like ours, I suppose, where there's all these changes, and then underneath it was much more uniform, so like a uniform 
um, area going down of ammonia and then etc etc mm. to the core. But what what they've actually found by with Juno is that the <clears throat> some of the uh, like ammonia clouds seem to move around quite a lot on the on the surface of the planet. But when they've got closer to them, they've discovered that they can go up to about three hundred kilometers deep into the atmosphere of, ah, of so kind of like as you go further down it's not so uniform no. there's different kind of uh, storms or puddles yeah it's it's, it's it's like weather ammonia weather in a wow. in an entirely gas system which is kind of uh, difficult for us to to, to get it's our heads imagine. around i think but it's an amazing thing and um the, one of the other things that they've done I mean, so many things honestly we could talk about <laughs> we could we could devote several programs yeah, we, just we, to this we definitely could one of the other things that they found is that um the uh, the aurora on Jupiter because we have the, um, the the aurora here on our Earth which are uh, caused by particles from the sun hitting our uh, the Earth's magnetic field travelling down to the poles and then exciting particles in our upper atmosphere and it's because we've got a uh, magnetic field that we have these aurora the aurora on Jupiter are we're, we're now getting really good data about those because we've got Juno up there looking at them how lucky is Juno? And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're so much more powerful, so much more widespread, so much more active than we thought that they were going to be. And in fact, um, it's, we believed that the magnetic field of Jupiter was about five gauss. That doesn't really mean anything, but if you think about it in terms of... It probably, it probably doesn't mean something to some people, but it doesn't mean anything to me, unless I think that ours is 0.25 to 0.65 gauss. Mm. We thought that Jupiter's um, magnetic field strength was 5 gauss, so considerably stronger, but it actually turns out that it's about 8 to 9 gauss, so twice as strong as we mm. thought. Yeah. And that the core, it doesn't have a very from what we can tell from these initial um, results, it doesn't have a, uh, a, a, as much of a solid core as we thought, much more of a fuzzy core, and that the dynamo that is causing this um, magnetic field is uh, somewhere else. It's not coming from the core. It's somewhere else in the atmosphere, maybe a, a hydrogen... Uh, uh, no, probably not that. Anyway, somewhere else in the, in, in the, in, in the system. Uh, sorry, in the... Um, I've just been um, distracted because John Ford's coming. <laughs> oh, yes, um, um, Can I just say one other thing about this before yeah. we go to John? Yeah. Um, the, my very favourite thing about this is that the, the camera on, uh, on, Ju- on Juno has uh, been... is much stronger than they expected. They thought it would probably only last one or two... Um, orbits of the planet before the radiation uh, got too bad for it. Actually, it turns out that's not going to be the case, and it's going to last for years and years and years. So we're going to get some amazing images and data as as time goes on. Uh, there's another. The next closest approach, approach is on the 19th of May, which is what Thursday is it? Uh, yes, Thursday, Friday this week, something like that. Today, isn't it? Yeah. And um, at some point, it's going to fly over Jupiter's, Jupiter's great red spot and we're going to find out an awful lot more about wow. that all right well look thank you very much it's very it's very good having a, a, a resident astronomer who's also a co-presenter of the program <laughs> that, uh, we never have any particular questions we need to ask about that it's been great to have uh, elsa on the show i must say mm-hmm. thanks so much for telling us all oh, about your pleasure your volca- vo- volcano and um you've got quite a lot of work to do haven't you is is it is your uh, basically you just want to make life easier for 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 people living around volcanoes i guess uh, it's a it's a combined thing that um i'm very curious about volcanoes i 
part, partly the kind of five-year-old in me gets very excited, but also a kind of grown-up curiosity for how the system works um, because we still don't understand a lot. And also I think it is um, helped by kind of wanting to um, help the people who live around it and um, the people who study it as well, um, seeing if we can kind of unite our work in Bristol with uh, the work of the Guatemalan institutes um, and kind of, you know, provide more understanding of the, the volcanoes. Yeah. Well, we wish you well with it and big thanks for being on the show Thank and you. after the show do stay uh, tuned because uh, we've got john for after the news we've got john ford getting bristol home and uh, as it happens john ford is with us right now hi john hello how are you uh, I'm very well, thank you. Yes, very I'm. Good. Uh, yes, thank I'm. You. I'm. Uh, you know, for a man of my age. I'm well, I was going to say, yeah. By yeah. the way, very interesting program today. I think one of the best you guys have done. Oh, oh thank, thank you. you very much. That's very kind. Well, yeah. that's. Uh, no, I was da- fascinating about science and religion earlier. It was great, and, and mm. you know, every, every, everything, and you know, volca- the whole lot. What a nice! But I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take you off my hate mail list. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's okay. I'll keep you on mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, listen, I, I know that you're probably you're just burning with resentment because we've left things off the programme this week. Well, you, you've lost, left loads of things. Look at that. Look. Loads, loads and loads of stuff. Um, <laughs> but, but probably because we're short of time, the most important thing was on this day in the year 1618. Andrew, we know all about this. Um, Johannes Kepler. He ah. discovered the harmonics law. You know all about harmonics law, don't you, Andrew? Um, yeah, I <laughs> haven't really got time to, ma- to talk about getting it. Getting close to mathematics <laughs> now. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's the law that the ratio of the square of the revolutionary period in years to the cube of the orbital axis in astronomical units, astronomical units, is the uh, same as all the, for all the planets. Um, he went on to develop a few more laws. His third law is written as p squared equals a cubed. I have no idea what it's not to do with no. spinning other planets, isn't it? Oh, well, yeah, not quite well. possibly. Well, I mean, Kep- 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 Kepler's a name is very. Uh, I mean, obviously, I know all about this, but I can't. I mean, we don't have time. No, we don't. No, I, I'm well, you're probably more interested then in 17. Um, <laughs> in, a hundred years later than that, James Puckle. Um, he was a lawyer, London lawyer. He patented the world's first machine gun. Did he? There's some science behind that, isn't there? There is. Absolutely, I wish yes. he hadn't. And they got very, very hot, didn't they? One of the problems with machine guns, they get very, very hot. Yeah. So they seize up. The early ones just seized up. Th- uh, all the people they kill is the problem I have with them. Oh, th- th- that's an even bigger problem. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, and why is it all, all these flights take off from Kazakhstan and land at Kazakhstan? You know, the space flights currently. Ah. Why, why is that? But because uh, this day in 1955, the building of the Space Travel Centre started there. Oh, yeah. But it's still going strong, isn't it? It is. Another reason why is because it's close to the um, to the equator of the planet. So when it spin- as the planet spins, it spins a bit faster, which gives you a bit more of a push as you go out into space. All right. Yeah. There you go. Well, look, stuff. that's plenty to muse on. Well, thank you for putting us right there. Stay with John Ford for his uh, excellent show, Getting Bristol Home, after this. Uh, it's been great to have your company. Fantastic to have Elsa Naismith with us. And, of course, uh, from... From uh, Andrew Glester and me, have yourselves a very good evening. Join us again next week. Mm-hmm.